Welcome everybody to another one in our series of Financial Wellbeing Podcasts. My name's David Lloyd. I'm here with uh, Tom Morris and Chris Budd. Tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Tomo. Oh, I get to go first this time. Yeah. Uh, yep, still a Chartered Financial Planner at Ovation. Not much has changed over here. Got a stag weekend coming up. Oh. Yes, this weekend, which I used to be really excited about them. My hangovers get worse and worse. Are you going abroad or is it domestic? It's Sorry, domestic. can you just remind us how old you are, Tomo? Uh, 31. 31. So, yeah. And you're getting hangovers that hurt. Right. I mean, look, it's, I've had a tough paper hand, all right? <laughs> uh, Bournemouth, so it's UK-based, so I'm driving down after work tonight. And yeah, it should be, should be fun, catch up with a few old friends. Looking forward to it. Excellent, that's good. Have you got anything exciting coming up, Chris? Well, I was recently best man at my brother's wedding. Oh, you Actually, were indeed. How yeah. did that go? Oh, it was a wonderful day. Uh, first marriage, 53. His wife, now wife, I'm still getting used to saying that, has two, uh, one teenage, one 20-year-old old, old son. I get this. So they stood up and, and during the speeches and they gave a little speech and um, they said about how they called him stepdad for years now because, you know, they, that's how they thought of him. And the mum's bottom lips were starting to quiver, you know, all the mums in the room. And then they finished off and said, and now that Matt has moved into our house, it finally feels like a home. Oh, the tissues came out, there were tears everywhere. <laughs> oh, how lovely. It how was lovely. fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like a great day. Well, I've done absolutely nothing, really, <laughs> uh, in comparison with any of that. But hopefully in a future podcast, I can perhaps be bringing some exciting news Ooh. about a writing project that I'm involved in. I'm but at the moment, I can't because there isn't any. <laughs> but things so are, that was purely speculative, wasn't that, it? Things are, things are bubbling under. OK, cool. Yeah. Right, uh, what's on today's podcast then, Chris? Today, David, we have an interview with Dr Catherine Zolman, who is a GP in the NHS. But more importantly, for the purposes of the interview, she's the medical director at the Penny Bron Cancer Centre. Now, listeners to the podcast will be aware that all the proceeds from the Financial Wellbeing book go to this charity. I'm also a, a non-executive director of their trading company, so and uh, very involved with them, and, and, and Susie, my wife, also works there. So it's a charity that's very close to our heart, but I actually... I know you're slightly biased because I did the interview, but I think this is important, this podcast. It's not just interesting, it's important. What Catherine has to say is a massive influence to all of us I hope so I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing what she's got to say well can't wait but before we move on to that we've got a couple of our regular features uh, starting off with uh, probably the most uh, well liked and well loved feature in the uh, whole series of podcasts tight ass Tomo I think it's probably time for a little review about how this came about Tomo was going out for a meal with uh, the previous producer of this podcast Ian and with Chris uh, it was his turn to pay. He took them to a particular place and recommended the one thing on the menu for which, as it turned out, he had a voucher for money off. Now, it was, I think, as was acknowledged by Chris and Ian, a really, really nice thing. It wasn't horrible, but he did manage to take his two colleagues out for lunch and not basically spend any money for it because he had it on a voucher. Cheap as chips. And thus was the legend that is Titus Tomo born. So before we come on to the tip from the man himself. Um, I've got one here on Twitter from, um, oh, it's another one from at Anchors43, um, who's a super fan. Chris Anchors, I think we can definitely say, is a super fan, or as this podcast is also known, the fan. The fan, yes. <laughs> He's our listener. Hi, Chris. Um, uh, anyway, uh, Chris uh, writes on Twitter, my way of being tight is buying kids' clothes far too big when it is expensive. 
For example, a Newcastle football shirt, at least three sizes too big, and it looks more like a dress than a shirt, but he will get a lot of use out of it. It's a good um, call. The football shirts are very expensive, aren't they? I mean, yeah. I think that's a great tip, actually. I know, and he'll grow into it as yeah. well. Oh, do you remember the bla- your first blazer at school? Oh, cricket oh, jumpers oh, as well. Cricket, cricket jumpers jumper should be around your <laughs> yeah. knees. Mate, well, I remember my first blazer lasted me until, for you older chaps, year 10, fourth form. So you imagine that. Three and a half years I was wearing the same blazer. That's no how way. big it was in year seven. Blimey, yes. no. There's shoulder absolutely. pads like Dallas. <laughs> There's also a little tip here for uh, to extend on this for for sports clubs. Um, the club that my son, when he was little, he used to play rugby for, had a kit swap. Now this might everyone might be saying, well, yes, this is the obvious thing in the world, but I'd never seen it before. And the idea was that each um, uh, new season, you bring along all the kit your kids have grown out of over the winter or over the summer, being a cricket or football or rugby, um, and then you donate them to the club and take out somebody else's, and you pay a fiver for the privilege. So rather than paying 40 quid for a new pair of boots, you're paying a fiver. Um, this stuff's getting recycled rather than being thrown away, and the club makes a bit of money. Really, really good Share an economy. Exactly. Yeah, Share an economy. Great idea. Uh, but now let's move on to our uh, Maharaja of meanness uh, and see uh, what you've got for us this week, Tomo. So this week it goes back to vouchers again. And you know what? This one's a really simple one. Whenever you're thinking of buying something online... Just type into Google where you're buying it from and just put voucher code after it. And you'll find a ream of different sites that you can go on and there's often some kind of deal like 30% off if you spend more than £50 or something along those lines or they might be doing a buy one, get one free offer. Just give it a go. If you're going online, type it into Google, voucher code after it. And you you won't always find a discount, but I tell you what, an awful lot of times you will. What a good idea, because I often see when I'm filling in these forms, you bought something online, and it's always got insert voucher code here, and I often think, well, where do these vouchers come from? I always nobody, feel, no, feel quite left out when Yes, I nobody see ever sends me any, but in fact, you just Google them and see if they're out there. Google it. They're out there. Lots of sites out there. Uh, too many to name here, um, and I don't want to... That's a great it. shortcut. Yeah. Just put a voucher after whatever it is you're looking for. Yes. Yeah. Voucher code. Cool. Yeah. Brilliant. Anyway, listen, I'm all agog to hear more from Catherine Zolman. Are you a gog? I'm a gog. I'm a gog. <laughs> You look a cog, actually. I've often thought that. Um, okay, so uh, just to just to set this up, um, Catherine is a lovely, lovely lady, but um, uh, medical director at Penny Bron, and uh, we hear from her about the work that Penny Bron does, and particularly we hear about how to live well with cancer. This is their kind of strapline, um, and so we hear from Catherine about what that means, and we also talk a little bit about how that affects uh, financially. Um, and how money fits in with what they do. So let's have a listen to my chat with Catherine Zolman. Catherine, good morning. Good morning. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. It's nice to be here. Are you sitting in that wonderful Penny Braun building? I am sitting in the wonderful Penny Braun building, looking out over the wonderful Penny Braun garden. So. <laughs> Regular listeners to the podcast will know that proceeds from the financial wellbeing book go to Penny Braun. So perhaps you could just give us a very quick overview of what the charity does. Yeah, so Penny Braun for the last nearly 40 years has been supporting people affected by cancer to live as well as they can and to live as long as they can. The, the focus is really on living well. And it, and I think it really breaks down into, into three distinct areas because we help people deal 
as well as they can with the impact of a cancer diagnosis and the impact of the treatment, which can often be, you know, profound physically, emotionally, psychologically, even sort of quite existentially. People often feel as if their the, the, their life as they know it has has just stopped the, the day they get their diagnosis. And helping people to deal with the the grief, the fear the anger, but also very importantly, some of the practical things like will they be able to work? How will they look after their kids? Who, are, who is their network of support? All of those sorts of practical things. So using a very sort of holistic and integrative model, there are many ways to make that experience better for people. Um, and we try and tailor what we offer to people's individual circumstances and individual needs. So we help people build their resilience and find out what it is that works for them. And the other thing that we really try and do is help people be aware of the things that they can do to make a difference to their to their cancer prognosis. And there are an awful lot of things that are actually under people's own control, things like keeping a good level of physical activity and research study after research study is coming out to say just how important that is for people, both in terms of preventing cancer developing, but also once you've had a diagnosis of cancer, in terms of influencing survival rates and recurrence rates. So not only physical exercise, but how people eat, what kind of body weight they are, how they manage um, stress in their lives. All of those things are really important to help people have the best chances of keeping their bodies internal healing mechanisms. We often talk to them about how your body's hardwired to, to heal. And actually, we have all sorts of ways inside our bodies and naturally keep cancer cells at bay and how we can make sure that those things are working at their absolute best in any individual person's life. Blimey. Right. So there's quite a lot of stuff there, Catherine. That's really, really interesting. I'll come back to that hardwired to heal thing, if I may. But I was interested in... The second of those three, the build resilience. What a lovely, what a lovely phrase when you've just been diagnosed with something like cancer. To, to use an expression such as seize the opportunity to review how you live. I think that's a, that's called a turning a negative into a positive, isn't it? <laughs> and and for many people that that really does happen, you know. And I, I think given the right support, I think that's not an unrealistic um, option for people. And and sometimes people really do to say, you know, I felt like I was living close to the edge and things weren't you know, weren't in balance and I knew I was heading for some kind of something. And it's a, it is a great opportunity. I, I often finish my talks with a wonderful slide that Penny Braun herself used. She was a, um, a social worker who'd then trained in traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And so knew a little bit about Chinese, Chinese culture. And she often showed her final slide of her talk would be the, the Chinese writing for the word crisis. And in Chinese, the writing isn't um, phonetic. It's not the sounds of the words, but it's actually the ideas behind the word. So there are two symbols that make up the Chinese writing for crisis. One is danger, but the other is opportunity. And she always used to say, if we can help people find the opportunity in the crisis, we're doing them a real service because that helps to relieve the feelings of helplessness and futility that often come alongside a cancer diagnosis. Often people feel there is nothing that they can do except for just sit and wait and see what fate deals them next. And actually, that's not true. There is an awful lot that, can, that people can do that can make a real difference. And I think it's important to um, just bring out the fact that this isn't... Uh, faith healing. This isn't some hippy trippy thing that's an alternative to medicine. It's about supporting conventional medicine, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And all of our services are designed to go alongside whatever treatment options, whatever conventional treatment people are, are having. It's also, you know, you can use it when conventional treatment has finished or if there aren't any viable or suitable con conventional treatments for you. But it's not alternative. It's integrative. It's, it's designed to work well with and alongside so that people can really choose the best from the options that are available to them, but choose just from a wider range of things than they might find if they just go through the hospital um, services. Catherine, one of the things that uh, we talk about in the Financial Wellbeing book and this podcast is uh, that uh, one of the planks of financial wellbeing is creating a clear path to identifiable objectives. Okay, So that means work out what you want from life, spend your money on that. It seems to me that people who are coming to you are in that working out what they want from life space, whether it's about money or anything else. Absolutely. And, and money is sometimes think something that is a real worry for people and a real stress. So actually, if that is the case, then getting them some good advice or helping them deal well and understand the options can be really, really helpful for them. And sometimes it's what people need to do first is make sure that everybody else is all right financially and they don't see that as giving up on life or even sort of accept taking on a sort of 100 percent acceptance i'm i'm going to die from this but they feel it's a really important part of, of what we call resilient thinking and it's often prepare for the worst hope for the best and actually until you prepare for the worst it's sometimes a bit difficult to hope for the best because it feels like there's a monster in the cupboard that you haven't faced and actually a lot of your energy is drawn back to that whether or not you, you you're aware of it so really helping people to put those things on the table to get to examine them openly and think what do i want what is important to me is really important and do you find that people's approach to money changes when they're diagnosed with something as serious as cancer i think it can yes it's i mean all sorts of you know, amazing things can happen to people when they're diagnosed with cancer. And some people sort of have a completely, they've been hoarding their money all their lives and they suddenly think, what's all that about? Why don't I spend it on some of the things I really care about? Um, we had a wonderful guy come recently who is an amateur organist and he was just about to retire and buy himself a beautiful sort of practice organ. And I think, you know, the church organ, he was a cathedral organist. And, you know, I think these things are not cheap. And he, when he was diagnosed and he, he was told, you know, the treatment's only palliative, he thought, right, well, I'm not getting the organ. And then after coming to Pennybron, he suddenly thought, do you know what, I'm going to get that organ. And I think it was one of the best things that, you know, he felt so liberated and so happy with that decision. Um, so I think it, I think all sorts of things can happen. For some people, money isn't uh, where their energies need to go. But for other people, it's it's a very important part. And we always on our courses have a have a time to help people think about the practicalities of life, because whether that's who you, you know, who you're responsible for, how you're going to pay the bills, where you live, all of those things, what your work is, and very importantly, what your finances are, because that can change a lot for people when they have a diagnosis of cancer. Suddenly work becomes much more precarious sometimes. Sometimes they're not sure if they'll be able to um, go back to work, what their pension arrangements are. And so it, it can be a, a big issue for people. Obviously, you, you work with my wife, Susie, um, who's a cancer nurse and also spends one day a week at Penny Braun. And she mentioned to me a comment that she heard quite often with people um, who've got cancer that they felt their well-being has actually increased because having the cancer made them focus on what is important in their lives, which when I first heard that was so counterintuitive. 
I think it's true. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the way in which people can find the opportunity to, to really think about their resilience and think about the balance of things in their life in a different way. And when people even make quite small changes, suddenly realize that actually what we eat does have a big impact on our overall health and they start paying a little bit more attention to that or they start realizing that that they feel better when they're a little bit physically fitter um, or that actually if they learn to relax and switch off and sleep better at night um, that they have more energy so in all sorts of ways both physical emotional psychological and and sort of even in their spirits people can start to feel um, really quite a lot better just by making some very small changes. And sometimes having a diagnosis of cancer is the catalyst to help them make those changes, even if they might have known that, oh, yes, I should probably lose a bit of weight. Suddenly, when when life stops like that or when you're given given a sort of shock diagnosis like that, it can it can make it easier to get over some of those initial hurdles to changing habits. So going back to that uh, hardwired to heels end, uh, what what science is there behind this? Because it all sounds pretty logical stuff and stuff that we could do anyway. Why do we need Petty Brown uh, to help us to do it? Well, I think I think traditionally, as I say, cancer has been thought of as as an illness that kind of you know arrives in your life. You have strong, powerful medicines and treatments that hopefully stop it in its tracks. If you're lucky, it go goes away forever. If um, if you're not, it might come back and you might need further courses of treatment. I think what's interesting is that big epidemiological studies where they've looked at large populations of people to see who gets cancer, who doesn't get cancer, if people have cancer, who who lives longer, who do, who who lives longer without a recurrence, and and in whom does the recurrence come back more quickly? Um, they are starting to show these patterns that people who are more physically active, compared with the people who are least physically active, seem to live longer and do better. That people who eat what you might call a sort of Mediterranean diet, for want of a better word, but who eat more whole foods, less processed foods, a more plant-based diet, which is rich in colourful vegetables and fruit, oils like olive oil, nuts, seeds, food more as nature sort of presents it rather than a lot of synthetic foods. Those sorts of people seem to live better. So we know it from a kind of population basis that there's something going on. And actually, over the last 25 years, research in, in a field called psychoneuroimmunology and other kinds of immunological research has shown possibly one mechanism why this makes a difference. And we're learning much more about the body's immune system and how it has an active role in detecting and destroying cancer cells every single day of our lives. From the moment we're born, our bodies will be making cancer cells as our cells divide and multiply normally. Some of them come off the production line faulty in a way which would allow them to develop into a cancer cell if left unchecked. And our immune system has a very important role in, in kind of surveillance. It detects and then it destroys any cells that would cause a problem if left unchecked. And Susie, show me that um, amazing bit of footage that I believe you show, I'm not sure every time somebody first comes, but of the immune cell actually eating a cancerous cell. Absolutely. And I think most people don't know that that's happening in their bodies and therefore don't know that there are things that they can do to make that happen better and, and more effectively. And there are other things that they may be unwittingly doing that may get in the way of that and put the brakes on the immune system and we're learning much more about the things which regulate the immune system and the things like that some of the chemicals that we make in our bodies when we're stressed over long periods of time which act as immune suppressants so that then alters the balance if if your body's still making cancer cells but your immune system is suppressed then there may be an opportunity that a cancer will be cancer will develop 
But if you can if you can take the brakes off the immune system and really allow it to do its job properly, then maybe you can correct that balance. And so often we explain that to people because it gives them a bit more of a of an understanding about why these different things make a difference. And certainly some of the, the chemicals that we eat, and that's why we talk about this kind of colourful vegetables and fruit, an awful lot of the chemicals that we get in natural vegetables and fruit are helpful for the immune system to do its job better. The... Uh... Penny Bronze Centre in uh, in Pill, where you're, where you're currently sat, there's something about the architecture of that building that when I walk in, I feel good. I just relax. I don't know quite how they've done it, but it, it's, it's brilliant. It seems to me that the thing that Susie does when she's at your place, as opposed to when she's giving out the chemo, the one thing that she's got at Pen, when, she, when she helps at Penny Bronze is time. The NHS isn't very, it's wonderful at many things, but it's not very good at giving time to people, is it? I think that's right. And I think it's one of the sadnesses that I think a lot of NHS staff feel. And I work as an NHS GP where I have a lot less time than I do in my work at Penny Brown. And it is a constant sadness that I think you can achieve so much. And probably you don't need that much more time overall. You just need to spend it at the right times and have that opportunity when people are first diagnosed to give them the time and space to process it, to come to terms with the shock and give them the, the confidence that actually there is support out there so that they can they can learn to help themselves and they can ask for the support they need. So it is it is wonderful to give people time. I think you're right about the physical environment as well, because whether it's the gardens or the or the in, internal rooms, it's been designed to give people that feeling of comfort and to kind of stimulate that that sense of this is this is a place where I can get better rather than this is a scary place where I'm going to feel very ill. So we try and keep it as non-clinical as possible. You know, there's nice carpets, there's there's soft furnishings, there are there are flowers and plants in lots of the rooms. There's wonderful, colourful food that looks like you'd eat it in a restaurant rather than a hospital canteen. So it's um, it, we really try and stimulate that natural, the body's natural capacity to heal, and and some of that is is very much determined by the environment and your and your sort of mental attitude as you come into that environment. And if I may just make a quick plug, uh, it's also a wonderful place to take business meetings because we've done a few of those recently and it's, uh, it's a great to get out of the office and go somewhere so quiet and, and, and wonderful. And sometimes when businesses come and have a, have a meeting there, we can lay on a little bit of you know, relaxation training or something, something that, that sort of gives employees a chance to sort of tap into some of that well-being because obviously the more we can spread the message wider than the cancer community all of these things that we talk about building your resilience are just as relevant for many other long-term health conditions and also to keep people healthy so it's about keeping healthy you know getting healthy if you're not getting as healthy as you can if you've been diagnosed with an illness and then responding to sort of the challenges that life throws at you so resilience is for everyone and if we can teach people some tools that they can keep in their toolbox hopefully use on a on a regular kind of prevention and maintenance basis, but also know that they're there if they should need to dip into that toolbox um, because of because of um, a health challenge. Then we're doing a good job in the wider world too. So I just want to finish on on one last observation for you to comment on. I, I know we've touched on this um, living well, but I just want to go back to that because the the idea of living well with cancer is a bit. Uh, counterintuitive to people and um, I know that there's lots of cancer charities who do wonderful things but they do tend to talk about 
fighting cancer, beating cancer, battling cancer. And the Penny Bond approach of living well with cancer is so different to that, isn't it? I think so. And I think for a lot of people, the idea that they're engaged in a constant battle or a constant fight is is quite exhausting and quite stressful in itself. And it makes you feel that there are winners and losers as well in a, in a, in a battle. And I think the Penny Brown model really helps people understand that there's always something you can do to make things a little bit better, to, to sort of help you live the life that you want a little bit more fully in a, in a more meaningful way or in a deeper way. And I don't mean that sort of in a, in a mystic way, but, you know, if, if actually spending time with um, your family is really important, there are ways in which you can learn to really prioritise that, do it as well you, as you can, to heal relationships that may not be working so well, to focus on nourishing and supporting the people around you and getting that nourishment and support back. So we we always think that no matter how dire and how bleak the situation may seem on paper, there's always something that can be done to just in, increase your resilience a little bit, to just fill up your your reserve tank. We often we often use a, a metaphor of a boat floating over rocks and say if the water level that the boat's floating on is, is high, many of the rocks will be, be buried and not cause so much of a problem. If the water level is really low, you're going to crash into even some of the tiny rocks. So helping people think about what can I do to fill up my tank? What can I do to sort of build my own resilience. There's always something that can be done. And and then then the metaphors aren't fighting and battles. They're how can I block some of the things that are draining my resilience? How can I relieve some of the stresses or relieve some of the demands? And sometimes it's just really simple things like just helping people ask for a bit of support, helping people ask um, for a bit of help from their neighbours with preparing food. Sometimes that can just free up energy, which then they can spend on the things that are important to them. It's um it's a bit like the British Olympic cycling team, isn't it? They concentrated on the one percents. Absolutely. Just do lots and lots of little things that increase the one percents, and suddenly things are better than they used to be. Yes, and sometimes with the big battles, often people are looking for a magic answer, and they sometimes ignore the basics, ignore. Um, you know, things like how much sleep are they getting, ignore things like ha have they had a chance to get outside in the fresh air and connect with the places that matter to them or the people that matter to them. And sometimes part of what we do here at Penny Bron is kind of try and, and it's a very natural thing. It's your survival instinct. You want to kind of research everything on the internet. You want to stay up all night finding the latest nutritional supplement that might you know, be the answer. And actually, often we try and help bring people back to that bigger picture of what's your life like? What's how is it supporting you? And what can we do to help you really live well? Catherine, I, the work that you do and the work that Paddy Bron UK Centre does is absolutely fantastic. It inspired me to write the financial well-being book. Um, and I now enjoy taking my dog for a walk and eating yogurt. So your work is, <laughs> is having an effect, I can assure you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You're really welcome. And thank you for all that you do for the charity as well, Chris, because it's, it's really lovely to have the support of people like you who can see how this work can be taken into other settings and, and make an impact elsewhere. What a lovely woman she is. That was, I was really moved by that interview. Yeah, she's, uh, they do great work there. Um, and it is such a wonderful place. Uh, although it's Bristol based, though, they are a, a national charity but that Bristol Centre is a, just a, a wonderful place so anybody who is in the Bristol area uh, they've got a shop they've got a little restaurant just pop in and have a have a little look at a walk around the gardens and it's very much do, do you know it really does fit, and I can see now why you were drawn to write the financial well-being book having having heard her talk about their philosophy because 
a lot of what she talks about in terms of how you can react to a diagnosis of cancer actually we're talking about in terms of financial well-being and says well don't wait until it all goes pear-shaped change your life now and actually a lot of those things that apply I was rather hardened actually when she was talking about diet and things like that because I, I was thinking well that's yeah that's the sort of food that I eat and so obviously you can put yourself hopefully ahead of the game and in a slightly better position to ward off the possibility of a cancer as we can with our money as well by yeah. doing things in the right way one area that really got me was building resilience and i think we can all do that put us in good stead for any shocks that come around the corner whether it be health or, or, or financial the, the the phrase hardwired to heal i think is a good one for people to take away uh, it's this idea that um, what we're doing with the with our with, with the work of Pelle Bron, but also with financial well-being, as you say, David, is we are supporting our immune system. That our bodies want to get rid of the cancerous cells. There are immune cells going around eating cancerous cells, and we need to support that immune system. And having all the principles, the five basic principles of financial well-being, are all about reducing our stress, about making us feel better in life and be happier. And that is going to help our immune system. So the original title for the book was, and this was very much a draft working title, was How Financial Planning Can Help Prevent Cancer. Now, there's no way I could have got away with that. But actually, you see the logic now, having listened to that interview, that actually there is, there is some truth in it. Well, do you know what, Chris? I think we're going to leave it there because I think that sums up perfectly what we've been trying to achieve, what you've tried to achieve with the book, what we continue to try and achieve with our podcasts. And it was hugely refreshing and very inspirational to hear that interview. So um, that's it for us today. We're not going to take up any more of your time, but we will be back with you very soon with another one in our series of financial wellbeing podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. <laughs>